0: RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. We are all aware that we have a suicide problem in New Zealand. Yes, yeah, serious moment right here now, folks. Um, and we hear that they are at an all time high. Not surprising with what we've been through and impacting Kiwis from all walks of life. But what to do? This has been a problem for a long time. In fact, my next guest describes it as a silent epidemic. And that is Rob Mokaraka from Shot Bro who joins us at Reality Check Radio. Rob, kia ora. welcome to Reality Check Radio. Thanks for making some time for us.
1: Kia ora, Paul. Thanks for making time for the kaupapa and for me. Appreciate it.
0: Okay. A silent epidemic that we have been aware of, though,
1: right? Yeah, there's a lot of awareness. So for me, brother, suicide awareness is talking about it. Suicide prevention is action.
0: Yeah, well, you just yeah. reminded me. Uh, I've been in the news business for a while, and I remember about 15 years ago, we were actually told to stop saying suicide in news bulletins. We we had to call it sudden death, yeah. and and that kind of tucked it away. You know, it it wasn't upfront, and I think the theory was that it could encourage people who were in that space to you know go through with something. So um, yeah, you, already I remember that. So you yeah. are travelling throughout the country to educate and empower uh, people about this, and um, just right up front now, you've got a meeting coming up at the end of this month, June 28th in Walkworth, Auckland. We'll talk about um, the work you're doing at the moment, but I'm really interested to know how you, to, you got to where you are now and, and, and how you are, have ended up, let's say, doing what you're doing. How far back does this go?
1: Uh, well, so my co is called Shot Bro Confessions of a Depressed Bullet. And it's based on my very public mental and spiritual breakdown in 2009, where I, in the storm of suicidal ideation, I provoked the police to shoot me dead. Oh, and, I, wow. and I scared the police so much that afternoon, uh, July 27th, 2009, that they shot me in the chest at close range with a Glock 9 millimeter bullets. And yeah,
0: (laughs) that's pretty heavy shit.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's pretty raw and real. And um, I didn't want to be alive, brother. So um, I basically I called the police and I provoked the police. So I didn't get my wish and my wish was to be not living. But after a lot of help to get here, seven years of working on this project out in Australasia now, helping communities, families to address this. Tell me if anything's, you
0: know, you don't want to talk about. but
1: Talk about anything, brother.
0: Why, why, why did you choose to do it that way?
1: That's a great question. I have asked, been asked that a few times. And um, so for me, as and it's in my presentation, as a Māori growing up, a young boy, I used to see the police shoot Māori on the news or in the news, right or wrong. And I thought, great, I'm a Māori, this should be easy. And also, in my suicidal ideation, I thought I deserved a very violent death because i I was worthless, I was a piece of crap, and when you built this narrative up in your head, even though you're smiling to the world, the internal dialogue is influencing your your daily life and i didn't realize that i didn't how, realize that.
0: How do you get to feeling about yourself in that way
1: so for me i'll just I'll just speak from my point of view yeah, my of self, um unresolved trauma that happened to me as a young boy Uh, and part of that I didn't realize on my healing journey discovered um, I I remembered being sexually molested um, and also I'd seen sporadic violence in family gatherings just you know even I'm trying to minimize it now but just family gatherings with alcohol sporadic sometimes it could be a good gathering sometimes it could be a violent gathering and so all of this stuff was just building on top of everything else, then I was in a tumultuous relationship. So I've got this unresolved trauma, with no tools, because I wasn't really addressing any of it. And in a tumultuous relationship, which I imploded, I am I I made it explode. Hmm. And so when I ruined I ruined this relationship, uh, all the past started to flare up, all this buried stuff, buried trauma. And I didn't want to be alive. And I thought I was the biggest pile of crap in the world, in the universe. Wow. So, yeah.
0: so you can obviously you store trauma.
1: We humans store trauma.
0: Yeah. Build it up and store it.
1: Yeah. And and you store it. Some Another nice way to put it is people compartmentalize it to survive. Uh, so it's stored somewhere within you, and um, if I use the words of dr Gabor, Dr Gabor mate, it's like not so much the event of the trauma, it's what happens to you after the traumatic event that's when then the hurt starts really building, so the event is a shock, and what happens after you as a result of the shock is is the trauma,
0: and that trauma is enough to override you know that. <laughs> Well, you mentioned spiritualism, I think, um, just before, or spiritual and also in the doctor
1: spiritual breakdown, yeah. mental yeah. spiritual breakdown. That
0: that voice that should be telling you, uh uh-uh, uh, no, no, you're still worth something, by the way, is silenced, is it?
1: Well, everyone's got a different ver- like I'm having this conversation around Australasia. Everyone has a different version of it. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, you could be the most strongest, powerful, successful person and this voice has been gnawing at you, and one event could be the little chip on the surface that triggers the call below.
0: Yeah, because I think you say in the doco that um, when what you were just talking about before, uh, death by cop basically, was the the, the, the attempt that you made, um, you, that you'd been overseas doing one of your shows and touring around and everything was great. And I think you even say you couldn't believe the love you were getting and and you would think that that would be just such a great state of mind to be in to be you know to be able to cast off anything that was there or it at least
1: yeah well this is another common theme that's happening globally i'm hearing is that you could be shining on the outside but crumbling on the inside and so there's your expectations, might be your family's expectations, society's expectations. I was falling apart all over the place. And I was in London looking at how on the outside look, it was like really climbing that international stage. Yeah, but that, yeah, mean, my, wow. my, my life was falling apart, brother. And yeah. I, I couldn't tell my, good, my best friends who were sitting across the table for me, from me. I didn't know how to say. It Was felt like all the shame, guilt and failure had choked me up.
0: Okay, so you get back, and again, don't walk through anything you don't want to walk through. No, all good, Paul. And we'll get on to um, a lot of the other uh, um, stuff to talk about shortly. But what, what happened on that that day, you know, that, that day that you'll never forget and yeah. nearly took your life?
1: Well, I it's that, a tumultuous breakup. I ruined the relationship. I totally wrecked it. I went and slept with another woman, Paul, just to make sure I totally destroyed the relationship. There was un- it was already unhealthy, so I thought I'd just let the other three tires down. So you know, you got one nice. flat tire, yeah, and then and then you thought, well, why don't I just go and destroy it? Which is apparently people's uh, traits. If you've come from trauma, you just want to make it implode. So I destroyed that relationship, and then, uh, of course, the person, the, the woman in question, was very upset, as she should be. Uh, and then all the shame, guilt, and failures were around me and all the stuff from my past that I buried was swirling up, but I didn't realize what it was. So it's easy to say now in hindsight, but at the time I thought I was going crazy. I thought I was going insane with the amount of emotional and mental distress that was running through me. And I thought, you know what, Rob, you are a big pile of crap. You know what, Rob, you don't deserve to be alive. And so I called the police on myself. So I created an event which traumatized a lot of people, the police included.
0: Wow. Okay. And how did it just, how did it play out? Can you absolutely tell us about that?
1: Yeah, it's in my presentation. Um, so <clears throat> I called the police on myself, basically, from home. Yeah. And I dressed up in some of the, Uh, World War II regalia that I had in my theatre show was over in London. Okay, yeah. Uh, To to look like the real, which would be, which would be looked at as a real nut bar. So you
0: you come out and you're dressed up in this way.
1: Yes, I've got a meat cleaver. Um, I've got uh, something that's dressed up in a teetown that looks like a pistol, but it's not. Right. It's a soup ladle. And um, I've got some very <laughs> scared police armed because I called them on. I called them because I thought I need a violent death for somebody who's a big pile of crap like myself. So when the bullet hit me, uh, hit me in the chest, dropped me like a sack of potatoes in the middle of my street. It was too late. I'd re- The pain in my mind was overridden by the burning of my internal organs from the bullets.
0: So you felt all that?
1: Oh, yeah, 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 oh yeah, you, oh yes, yeah, when you're shot, you know you're shot, and um, and the bullet's yeah, stuck inside me, so it's burning inside you. so all the all of that started, I started to realize, oh man, this what was going on in my mind is overridden by the internal intensity of the physical pain. So I was like, man, maybe I made a bad mistake, huh. but also, I I was still wanting to be dead. Now I'm in a painful state. I still didn't want to be alive. That's how deep in the trauma I was. Um, and I'm grateful that I didn't die. Um, my daughters are grateful of their dad's alive. Um, and I've got a second chance. And it took me seven years to create this with a lot of help. Now I'm invited around not just Aotearoa parts of Australia as well.
0: So when you... I guess you woke up at some point. There would have been surgery involved in hospital. <clears throat> you woke up.
1: What was it like then? So this is the first thing. I woke up in intense pain with my guts cut wide open, and the first thing I thought was, "I hope my dad doesn't know."
0: <laughs> hope dad doesn't find out.
1: <laughs> yep, pretty much, brother.
0: And why not? Why? Why shouldn't? Did Did you hope that he wouldn't know?
1: Well, just because. I, I, Because I thought, oh, great, I'm going to bring all the shame onto the family. And dad's going to know for 100% sure now that I'm definitely a failure. So all of these things that you think people think of you have been compounded. Like you think everybody hates you. You think everyone, you are, you've convinced yourself that you are worthless and no one will ever love you. You're so unlovable. And now everyone's going to confirm that. And my dad will know that I'm a useless son. And all of these things that you build up this mythology, and maybe you've had some harsh words said in your in your younger life, but they're not a truth. They're not a fact.
0: Did he know about what happened to you?
1: Oh, heck yeah, it was. He got the phone call. It was on. Well, oh, no, news. no, no,
0: no, no. But when you're, what you mentioned at the start, when you're young, the. Where the oh no, I don't from.
1: think I don't think he knew any of that. Yeah, I don't think okay. any dads really realize that. Yeah, my dad, my dad's ex-army, ex-Vietnam War veteran. Um. So, th- that's, these words went, uh, uh <laughs> This vernacular wasn't used, brother.
0: <laughs> he, he didn't. He didn't know about the molesting or anything like that. I take. No,
1: it. no. I, 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 I was doing shot, bro, in the first year or two, and thanks to Mike King, he, he shouted me his shrink, because I'd already seen therapists, but I thought, well, maybe I need to go see again, and it brought up This stuff. So, once it took me a while to process right. that, took me quite a while. Uh, I told a couple of aunties, and then I thought, shit. I know what families are like. They start little Chinese whispers or that grapevine and it can make, it could be turned into something bigger and bigger. So I said to my dad, look, dad, uh, thought I'd better tell you. um, I've been seeing a therapist again and uh, having having memories of being molested. My dad in his very dad-like way responds, are you right now? (laughs)
0: Okay. Yeah, Uh, not many words, right? Yeah,
1: not many words, man. A few words, but deep thinking. But also, you know, this is just you're not, you're not nobody of that generation spoke about any of this,
0: yeah, yeah, though it was going on, obviously. Um, and and, and, in a kind of weird coincidence, I think he'd been injured in Vietnam too with a similar
1: injury, yes. So it was like his war wounds, I'd physicalized. So it was surreal for my dad to see me in hospital because he was, he was in hospitals all the way back from Vietnam to New Zealand because he was injured in, in, in um, combat. Yeah. So he was looking at his son with the same physical scars, um, lying in a bed, messed up. So I know my dad went through some stuff too, watching his son, watching me.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, so it turns out that, that people weren't thinking in the way you thought they would be when you woke up. That wasn't um, the case, right? It
1: wasn't the case. Um, and I thought, oh, man, now everyone's going to really know what a loser I am. But <laughs> it was the complete opposite because you've built up this thing, this negative voice. Um, Mike King calls it your inner critic.
0: Yeah, I've, uh, I've talked to Mike about that, yeah. yeah. yeah it's um, like a fe- negative feedback loop, isn't it, is what it yeah. is.
1: Yeah, and I've heard a mate say, I've got it in a pack of bastards. Um, so <laughs> you've got different versions. Yeah, uh, But whatever it is, it's... It can gnaw at you, and um, little events of trauma, say somebody's marriage breaks up, uh, someone loses their job, loses business, all of these things can trigger deep things that have been buried inside of us.
0: Right. Okay, so obviously you recuperated there and sort of got yourself together a bit. When did you decide that you can do something here? You can actually do something, you know?
1: yeah that's a good question. I was I was in hospital trying to write because I was a writer, actor by trade. I was trying to write out like what why am I here? What happened to me? what's why am I in pain? Why is this bullet? And then I just had little scramblings of writings trying to get my feelings out on us. didn't make sense to anyone but myself. Once I got out of hospital started to physically after multiple surgeries, because had a colostomy bag put on me because the bullet wasn't found and blah 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 blah. Wow! I just, I started just to put these writings away and when I got better some years later, I got a little bit of funding from the Mental Health Foundation and I wrote a script and um it made hardly any sense to anybody. <laughs> it made sense only to me. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so that was the beginning. So I over seven years I'd have little. Uh, invite-only workshops to stand these thoughts and ideas up in the theatre world with invited guests only. And it
0: turns out that performance part of you is actually a really good thing to have for what yeah, you do a- because, I, I yeah. again, watching the the doco and the engagement that comes from it, and you've, you've got hard nuts to crack sometimes, yeah. right? You're in prisons, things like that. Yeah, But you kind of... I can see that it. Well, it doesn't. It puts people at ease, but it allows a, a kind of opening up.
1: It does, and I know this because I studied a lot of TED TED talks on my way to creating this over seven years, and I heard experts speaking with a massive amount of knowledge, but it bored the shit out of me. <laughs> it bored the crap out of me, and I said, "I've already got depression. Your depression talks giving me more depression." So I thought I need to be able to engage everybody. Uh, And simplify it in a way that you can hold it; it's palpable. And so, by putting in the humour, you can start to put the medicine in. Right. But but the first, but first of all, whoever you're presenting to, they need to understand a little bit about your background. Otherwise, they're not going to listen. Like you go into prison, you give a little bit. This is the reason I'm here. I'm here to save a life. But this is what happened to me, and they listen. Oh, yeah, I might listen for an extra five minutes. Once I got five minutes, mate, I can I can get them for 70. But it's still a tough ride, bro. Some, some of them hardly show any emotion. Some of them laugh their ass off. But it's just like any community. The tougher they are, the more help they need.
0: Right. Um were you um sent to prison? Was there any prison time for what?
1: No, thank goodness. You, no. You did I, t- <laughs> no, I was my my lawyer who my friends found is a QC, very, very well, I think he's awesome because he got me out of that time because yeah. I, I was like messed up in hospital for quite a long time, multiple surgeries. Um, It got me down to, they were trying to put me in prison, but they got me down to 400 hours community service because I'd never committed a crime before. I haven't committed a crime, I haven't done anything untowards. Um, so it was like the charges in the court system or the, the, the laws are for, basically, it looks like it's for hardened people. Who are repeat offenders, and i that was my first time, but I'm also I know I'm very blessed that I had the right QC or the right lawyer to represent me. Otherwise, um, I'm just talking in general formality. It's not a, you're on a conveyor belt, brother. If you don't have representation, you're a conveyor belt to prison.
0: How much? I don't know what the breakdown is. How much of an issue now that you've just mentioned that is this suicide problem, whatever you want to call it, for Maori
1: i uh, I think unfortunately across all stats that Maori males are the highest so like males in New Zealand are the highest yeah uh, suicide rates, but maori males are also on top of that um but as what well, I know that suicide is not prejudice, so that's why um different cultures arrive to my presentations and yeah. they totally get it. they're not maori they're from wherever America, Australia. India they totally get all the themes I'm speaking their language and I'm not from their country
0: so it's sort of kind of universal the the, the drivers the fundamental drivers are um, yes. universal
1: yeah fundamental so when you think when I thought oh only a few handful of people might understand what I'm doing but it, I had people say man I thought you're telling my story and I'm like whoa your story how's that <laughs> it's my story <laughs> yeah but but there's universal themes that people have, I started to understand. So no matter if, say, I you know, grew up in a fairly decent household, it was just I wasn't brought up in the gang life, so I never had it that tough. But yeah. tough gang members are telling me, brother, felt like you're telling my story. Uh, um, and I was like, wow. So you understand that humans, hurt is hurt, right? But yeah. you, It's like people start, people in deep traumas, sometimes they they have what I call the pain Olympics. My hurt is worse than yours. You'll never understand. Mm. And then the other person on the podium who's only got a bronze medal in their eyes go, well, my hurt's so minimal. Look at theirs. I can't, I shouldn't be able to speak. But hurt is still hurting them daily. It's all valid. It's just having a safe space to get the hurt out without judgment and get the help you need.
0: I've heard people say in regards, I've known a few people over the years who've, who've ended it for themselves. And people have said, well, you know, they should have considered their, you know, the kids or their relatives. And But what I took from what you were saying in the docker and kind of how you're sounding now is, is that, that you get to a point where you don't think you in the world is going to help anyone anyway. Right. That's right. You, it
1: doesn't, like I said, I'm, I'm having this conversation with people from different walks of life. And there's similar key themes. They're on top of the world. or they're the toughest. They're the most successful. And boom, the rug's been pulled out from under them mentally. And um, man, it it, it freaks everybody out. 70-year-olds to young people. Some people, I think people from 40 years of age upwards go, oh, it's it's a real youth problem, isn't it? It's like, no, no, it's our problem because it's happening to our generations as well. So people like to try and distance themselves from anything to do with mental well-being and suicide. They go, the youth, eh? And I was like, no, no, us, our generation, your generation. And they don't like hearing it because vulnerability makes them feel frail. Why are men
0: more in the statistics?
1: Good question. I think it's the way we've been conditioned. The male hunter-gatherer has to be this way. This is the only type of male that we're... Used to having in the, in the world. So if you don't fit that criteria, you're soft, you're useless. Um, why, why are you even here? And so there's the societal values. It might be your family, might be reinforcing it in a different way. They don't even know they're doing it. That people are operating on, on systems that have been passed down and they don't even know that that's, that needs to be reevaluated.
0: You talk about your grandparents in the DOCO.
1: Yes, how my, you grandmother, missed them my grandmother, yeah. So
0: much, and we all do, because we remember. Yeah. Um, why Why do you? Why are you talking about them? Obviously, you talk about them that way, but why is that so relevant?
1: Well, it made me realize that they had a lot of knowledge I didn't tap into. And it made me realize that, oh, man, they must have had a story. They, something must have happened to them along the way. And um, I, as their grandchild, obviously, I was, you're a kid, you're, they're like shining people who spoil you more than your parents. Um, And then you realize, oh, gosh, they must have had a life and a half to have this many kids have a life. Have a, you know run a run a job and a big family it must have been stressful. I just started thinking, I wish I could ask them. But now in my forums, when I'm you know because I love my grandparents, in my forums I'm getting people in their seventies, mid seventies speak. They feel safe enough to speak about stuff they haven't spoken about for forty years. Wow. So we've, we've woven something together with the people who host us, a safe place. So over seventy minutes after people laughing, crying, laughing. They go, oh, my God, I didn't realize there's another crazy person out there just like me. <laughs> or, And on another level, they go, oh, my goodness, now I know my, my dad, my uncle, my sister, my wife has been acting like this. And then that person goes, yeah, I did not have the words. That guy, that crazy guy, Rob, that's what's going inside of me. So it creates a common vernacular for families who, to turn up. Because now they go, oh! Because they keep saying, "Why didn't you say anything?" Same reply: I don't know how to say what that crazy guy said, but that's going on inside of me.
0: Yeah, you couldn't do this if you didn't go through what you did.
1: Probably oh, would that be right? Absolutely, you're totally right. Now, just uh, I went to a grassroots mental health uh, presentation some years ago in the Hawke's Bay, and uh, this gentleman called Wayne Forrest, who's a keynote speaker, one of them. He heard my presentation. He rolled up to me in his wheelchair and he looked me in the eye. I didn't know him very well. I just met him that morning. He said, you know, Rob, that happened to you so you could get this message out. And I didn't even know his story. And then I heard his story afterwards and I was very humbled by what happened to him. Farmer, rugby player, put in a wheelchair and it changed, turned his life upside down. Now he's coming from that place of hurt in a different way helping people out of the dark into the light. And so when I meet people like that, it's so humbling and reinvigorates me to say I'm on the right path.
0: You must get calls, do you, any time of the day? You don't know what it's going to be? Yep. Probably sometimes you get quite a few calls in a row. I don't know. What's that like?
1: Sometimes. Uh, Yeah, somebody says, can you talk to my uncle, can you talk to my friend? Or can you talk to me? And all I go, yeah. I'm not a counsellor. I make I tell people, look, I'm not a trained counsellor. All I'm doing is. What do you have to be, Rob? No, no, you be? don't. But uh, but sometimes I think I just make it clear to people. I don't. Ha- you yeah. don't have to
0: be. Full disclosure. Yeah.
1: Full disclosure. I'm not. I'm not a therapist. But suicidal Rob knows what that suicidal person needs. So all I go is like, oh, I'm just going to be that calming voice that suicidal Rob in 2009 needed, and that person needs to know you're not alone, you're not crazy, you're hurting. Yeah. And um, you're allowed to ask for help. And you just ringing me now, I just I just congratulate them because I know how hard it is to reach out when you're in that very dark place. So especially males, it's very tough for males, but when the male does reach out, they need to know, do you know, understand the shit I'm going through? I go, yep, not the same, but I've got the T-shirt, bro. <laughs> um, and, and I totally understand. And I'm not judging the person because that person has been judged So many times that that's why they stopped speaking.
0: And they they're judging speaking. themselves too, right? Absolutely, on
1: top of that. Oh, oh, absolutely, that, that that's on a repeat. And if you don't have a safe person or safe people to speak to, I say get three, I've got tight three. Tight three meaning like the front row of a rugby, of a rugby scrum, three people that I've nominated that I trust with my life. I can text or call any time, night or day. So I, I, I encourage people to do something similar. And it makes you reevaluate who your friends are. Oh I'm like, oh that'll be I can't say that to my friends. I'll think I'm soft. Well get some better friends.
0: Yeah. They're not if really you know, friends otherwise, I suppose. And the,
1: otherwise they're just sort of like the bro- definition hey, of
0: what they friends are.
1: Absolutely, Paul. Yeah. And uh, sometimes we uh, you know sometimes it, it unfortunately it takes something as traumatic as that or people losing a loved one through suicide, side to go, oh man, actually I'm in an unhealthy circle. Maybe I should reevaluate.
0: Yeah. Do you still I won't use the word struggle, but are there sort of faint echoes from that life still? And and what do you do to deal with those? Because other people will, you know, be experiencing that too. And
1: I'm sure your insights are going to oh, help them. No, absolutely, Paul. I still go through stuff. Um, uh, I still, but I've got way more tools than I've ever had in my life. So think of this: I've got a healing tool belt, and I'm getting new tools, and I try them out. And I try them out. I just don't talk them. I, I try and walk them. I walk the talk and try them out. I go, this is pretty good. Or I don't get this tool. I'm going to leave it in my tool belt, but I'll come back to it later to figure it out later. But I just arm myself with tools. So once you've got the tools, it's practicing how to use them. You can't just go, oh, I'm going to pull it out when I'm swirling. It's like, if you're not putting into your daily practice of like, okay, awareness, I'm not in a good space. I feel something building instead of I've hit the wall already. How did that happen? Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm falling under. It's like to realize, oh, I'm on the way to hitting the wall. That's a big awareness of like, oh, this is not a good place. Eh? I always hit the wall. How about I can see me running towards the wall. I need to put some steps in place to stop the momentum. Right. So it's like practicing these tools. It's great that you can say them all day. and But when you're swirling in that storm, And you're trying to find that help switch. That help switch for me would change places. It's no longer on the wall. It's on the floor. It's on the ceiling, but you're in a panic. Where's the switch? I need to get the help switch. And it's trying to be calm in the storm going, okay, the storm's arrived. I've got these tools. I'm going to use these three tools right now. Um, And, and also that type three text or call any of those three, one of those three people and say, brother, sister, I'm swirling. I need help. And that, if they're everybody's in tune, they'll ring you. I'm right here, brother. What do you need? Sister, what do you need? Sometimes, bro, you don't even know what you need because no one's ever asked you or you've never revealed that you've been in this state before. So you're like, well, well what do I need? I, I don't know. Hug? A cry? Go to the yeah. beach? Yeah. But giving that person space to go, what do you need? It helps them find the solution with you. You don't have to have all the answers. We're only there to hold the space, not the problem.
0: Right. Okay. And there is a problem um, yeah. in, in New Zealand and uh, Aotearoa. And a lot of people have talked about what we can do about it over the time. Seems to have been a lot of talk. Um, you mentioned Mike King. I know what Mike's been doing. And there's you doing what you're doing from, you know, like in-your-face knowledge of the real world are we doing what we need to do as a nation to address this? Because no one wants it, man.
1: No, no. And you know what? It's confronting for families, for families. For families, to when someone's got mental health problems or suicidal in a family. Families feel this massive wall of shame. So they close it up to the outside world and they try and deal with it in-house. And nine times out of ten, they don't have the tools. Right. As much as a family families love you, they don't have the tools. You just go round in a circle. So basically, I just go. People go. Oh, we should. The government need to do this. The government need to do that. I was like, mate. Starts at home. That starts at home. If we can build emotional literacy in our own home, our own self, then we can teach our kids. Like I'm having. I'm very humbled to sort of hold space for our family now. My dad's the head of the family, but if it's have to do with mental well-being and stuff then we need to address something, I've had to recently step into that role. And that's okay. My dad just steps aside and goes, well, here's my crazy son. He's not saying yeah. it. Here's my crazy son. He knows a bit, of, he knows a bit about this topic. Let the son, get my son to talk about it to the family. So I've been able to address it from a family level but with a knowledgeable level not blaming anybody the thing is families get up t- caught up into the blame game yeah whose fault is it how
0: did it get like that he, it was you yeah. it's
1: your side of the family
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, he must he must be proud of you
1: I think so I think so my, dad, my dad's a man of few words my dad's big on actions but he just goes you know just gives me a nod and just checks in how I am where I've been and that's enough for my dad. It's a very dad-son relationship.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah, yeah. um Okay, you're looking pretty good. You're looking really healthy. No sign of the trauma, the physical trauma you've been through, obviously, and that wasn't that long ago. Um You've not fully healed up. You're getting by fine physically?
1: Absolutely, So I've just got... <laughs> Bun my ear up because I've just taken up uh, uh, <laughs> just, just taken up Brazilian jiu jitsu for my mental well being and somebody uh-huh. accident, somebody accidentally kneed me in the air and my ear blew up so I had to go and get the doctor to drain the blood out and blah blah, blah. but apart from that I'm great but yeah. that mental well being journey is ongoing it's like um, you're going to the gym the mental mind gym and you have to do little workouts just to check out little parts of you know you're working at your arms your legs at the gym. Um, you've got to do the same for your mental health. Yeah. And it's just checking in. And it's okay not to be okay. We have to we've got this weird thing that we have to be perfect. It's okay, man, not Yeah, to maybe be okay. people should cut,
0: you know, folk a bit more slack, right?
1: Absolutely. And cut slack for yourself.
0: Oh, well for yourself, that's where it starts. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah do yourself a favor. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so, All right. Now, um, I mentioned at the start of our chat that um, the, um, there's a meeting, a presentation you're doing in Walkworth, Auckland on the 28th of June. So if folk go to that, what will they see? What will it be like? What sort of ride uh, do you take them on?
1: Loving. Well, thanks to the Healing Through Arts Trust. This is an awesome trust, which is um, amazing. Lady Maxine Axford has formed. She's, seen, she's a big supporter of ShopRo, so she's putting it on. She, we, she's hosting it for us. So you're going to be meet and greeted by myself, Maxine, my cousin, my team, my small little team. And it's just like you're a family turning up to a family function.
0: Right.
1: (laughs) we just, hey, how's it going, bro? How's it going? Especially for males, I'm very aware that males find it uncomfortable coming into this space. So as soon as they meet me, they go, oh, the bro seems fairly semi-normal. It's not going to be something eerie-fairy. Blokes really want to like. I can't help but judge it at this. It's not going to be this eerie fairy thing, is it? I have to do some sort of therapy. No, bro. You just sit back, relax, and watch Crazy Rob do his thing. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> and it must feel good, Rob. You're yeah. kind of doing God's work, mate.
1: Yeah, I. I. You know, some people have said that to me, and I and I believe it. It's to be so. My auntie. I used to say I was lucky to be alive, and then my auntie and some other good friends said. Bro, what you've been through, you're blessed to be alive. You're not just lucky. By the doctor's report, it said you're supposed to be dead. Um, Where that bullet ripped through my internal organ. So I am grateful. I have to remind myself to be grateful sometimes because you just, when you're doing the do all the time, but I realize I'm doing my passion. It's like, as I'm helping people, Paul, I'm also getting more tools for myself. So it's a double-edged sword of sharing and learning at the same time.
0: Did you ever catch up with those cops? Had to ask.
1: No, no, it's a great question. Um, I wrote um, a formal letter, a handwritten, uh, I wrote a formal letter to try and apologise to the police officer who I provoked to shoot me, and I didn't get any reply. So some years later, I'm presenting at Huani Waititi of Māori uh, College, which is in West Auckland, and this policeman rings my agent i used to have an actor's agency i've left them but they they said hey rob somebody somebody called steven has rung and he said he was with you at the day of the shooting and i was like i don't know anybody called steven and they said rob we think it might be one do you think it might be the one of the police rob oh could be so they gave me his number i text and said oh can i call yep he rings me actually once I text and goes, Rob, I've just seen your documentary, but oh, not the one that you just seen. It was a, another one earlier on. Yeah. And he said, I just want to commend you for how far you've come since I met you. And I was like, sorry, well, when about the way meet? And he was like, I'm the policeman who compressed your bullet wound while you're wow. on the ground. Gosh. And I was like, wow. I said, Oh man, I just want to thank you. And, uh, I want to apologize. And he's, oh, no, 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 I'm not, not, I'm not the policeman who pulled the trigger. I'm definitely the guy who, who compressed the wound. And I said, look, I wrote a formal letter and I've got no response. And he goes, let me put it this way. If you handwrite a letter, Rob, I can get it to the person who needs to get have it. So I hand wrote it with all my details apology and saying who that guy was in 2009. That's not me. That's my hurt self. Which had no tools. So it was an apology. Anyway, that policeman who compressed the wound turned up, he saw shot, bro. And he was like, Whoa, now I understand the whole context of how you got there. And he goes, well, I'm glad you didn't point that detail at me. And I said, why is that? He said, because I was hiding in the bushes with an assault rifle. And that, if that officer oh. missed, I was there. I had to finish the job.
0: Whoa. <laughs> okay. That's, yeah. um, that's really...
1: So I'm blessed, brother.
0: Yeah, blessed. Yeah, yeah. That, that,
1: that, that, that officer who was, had the assault rifle, he didn't shoot me in two. He had to He compressed my wound. So from comp- doing something quite traumatic, which would have been extra traumatic for him...
0: Taking a life
1: he got to compress the wound and sort of how I remember it very clearly, him pushing down on that wound alleviated this burning sensation, just a little bit enough for me to breathe. And on that, so I was grateful that officer turned up. He stayed for the food. But the main thing is it humanized him too. He said, man, I was going through stuff that day, watching you and trying to navigate the whole terrain. So I realized I put the p- police in a very very intense predicament so also my goal is to present to police and help them look at how to approach somebody having a mental breakdown and help police look at their own internal systems of how they're looking after each other going out into intense environments daily
0: it's been really amazing speaking with you rob thanks for coming on rcr thank you paul i appreciate
1: your time brother
0: yeah and um keep on doing the work you're doing go even harder if you can (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to ramp it up, brother, ramp it up. More, more Aroha, more lights.
0: Yeah, so out of the dark with Aroha, right? Yes. Shot, bro. And Rob, mokaraka, thank you for joining us on RCR and all the best for what you're doing. Like I say, you're doing God's work.
1: Thank you, Paul, and thank you for being a light out there on the radio waves, brother. I really appreciate you. RCR with Paul Brennan,
0: Reality Check Radio.